Hey, it's Margot Tantau here, host of Windowsill Chats. I am so glad you're here. I have some tales to tell, some interesting stories to discover, and I'm glad you're here to do that with me. I've spent decades working with artists and being one myself. In the trenches, figuring out what the best way is to get something done, how to get something made, how to get your creative self noticed, how to make the best of a situation. And so I'm here to bring those stories to you and see if there's anything you can pull out from it. Maybe a laugh, something you can relate to, and definitely a little bit more community for your quiet little corner. So grab a cup of tea or coffee or a glass of wine and join me over in my sunny windowsill. of windowsill chats. I am thrilled beyond thrilled um, to do a little bit differently this week. I have one of my dearest friends who's in my pod. So we're, we're legal to speak without masks fairly, you know, sitting across the table from each other, um, which is awesome. Shauna Ahern is here with me and we are both fortunate enough to live on Vashon Island. And that's sort of how we met. Um, but we'll get more into that and a little bit about Shauna. Um, Shauna is just, she has a huge heart. She has a fascinating curiosity for everything. She's been a teacher. She's been, well, she's a a mom of amazing kids. She um, was well known for being one of the, or the first person to start to write about gluten-free. She was known as gluten-free girl for many, many years and um, I knew her from a little tiny, you know, Instagram photo before anything else. But what she is mostly is an advocate for humans and an amazing friend and a smart woman and someone who's overcome startling odds, really, um, in in the human experience to be the person she is today. And I learn from her every time I'm with her and I'm thrilled to have her here to chat with today. Welcome. Oh, Margo, you're so amazing. <laughs> I just now figured out what my job title is, thanks to you, which is Shauna M. Ahern, Advocate for Humans. I'm going to start <laughs> telling everybody. I'm a writer, so I'll say that first. But then what do you write? And I'm trying to explain. I'm like, hi, I'm an advocate for humans. That's it. So thank you for clarifying. She it does me. it in fabulous writing form, I must say. <laughs> I must say. But yes, she, you you really are. That's what I feel like. Thank you. Is- I've that's, that's the best job ever. It's, it's a good one and you do it well. Thank you. So, Shauna, you might have, I, I talked about it a lot when her book came out. It's almost been a it's year. A year next month. Oh yeah. my gosh. It's, what has this year been? It's been 800 years. What is it? <laughs> the book is called Enough and that's her latest book. She has cookbooks and all sorts of ideas for, for other things, kid books and things like this. But Enough was a very personal journey into um, the past that made Shauna 
made you who you are today. Mm. And it's one of those books that you don't want to put down and you, and you kind of wish there was somebody right next to you because you're, you want to read something out loud or, mm-hmm. you know, I was lucky enough to be able to text you along the way and say, oh my gosh, <laughs> I just read this part and I just read that part. But it's, it's about, it's really about human condition. And when you realize that you lived it, it's pretty, um, uh, sobering mm. to pick a word. Mm. Um, but I think I, I tend to use the word creative a lot when I'm describing people and life because I see it through a creative lens. And I think for me, um, you are, well, your writing is amazingly creative. Thank you. You, when I read it, um, I, it conjures up things for me that, you know, that's the best kind of writing to me, something where you kind of lose yourself in it. And so I just look forward to, to your newsletters and, and things every month. So I'd love to hear a little bit about your, just your creative journey and how you, how you landed where you are right now and how that Mm. feels to be where you are right now. (laughs) Do we have 13 hours? (laughs) We Uh, do. (laughs) Well, when I was younger, creativity was something that was put in a box. It was something you did during art, you know, art hour during elementary school. And I have always been creative. But I had all these blocks on myself as a kid. Of, oh, I can't draw. My brother's better than I am, so I can't do art, visual art. Um, but writing I could do from the beginning. And it, to me, never even felt like creativity. It felt like breathing. As soon as I realized that someone who was human actually wrote the books that brought the magic to my lives, my life or lives, <laughs> um, I wanted to be a writer. So I've been writing since I was three or four. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like something I had to follow. It wasn't always good writing, of course. (laughs) It was awful writing for a long time. I joke all the time that absolutely no one should ever read the uh, short stories I wrote in my early 20s, which I sent off in a big packet to the New Yorker unsolicited manuscript. I desperately needed confirmation at the time. Mm -hmm. I needed someone to validate that, yes, all these scribbles in the darkness sometimes Mm -hmm. actually mattered. And thankfully they never responded because they were terrible. (laughs) I don't know. Do you have copies of them? No, I remember them. They were terrible. (laughs) Um, But I don't think, you know, in your early twenties that the 10,000 hour, really that rule is true. Mm -hmm. You have to write a really, a lot of words that don't make any sense that are pretentious. Mm -hmm. Um, My writing has dramatically shifted even in the last 10 years, but certainly from my early 20s, it was all thesaurus talk. You Mm. know, it was so splendiferous. (laughs) Nobody actually says splendiferous, um, but it was impressive, you know. Um, So I'm a nimble writer now. Mm -hmm. I've written for decades and I'm deeply, deeply moved that people have been moved by my writing. It means more to me than almost anything in the world. But at this point in my life, I've moved beyond just writing and realized that for me, living itself is the creative act. Mm. And writing is only one part I fold into that living. Mm. And particularly this past year, which has been so difficult and the pandemic and, you know, the rise of fascism and (laughs) wildfires and not being Mm. able to breathe. And more importantly, you know, so many people losing their lives. Mm -hmm. I feel like in a real authentic way, not in a, Hey, be happy, damn it. You know, way that I used to as a kid, Mm. I feel like I will not survive this time if I don't find some gifts in it. Mm -hmm. And so the finding of those gifts is a creative act. 
Very true. And it requires the same kind of discipline that any creativity requires. It requires sitting down and really putting my mind to it and thinking, okay, what's going on? How can I solve this problem? Um, I always used to be as a kid, very, very deeply emotional, very sensitive, was raised by a very terrified and, you know, deeply selfish and sensitive person as well. And so you would never have told me that at 54, I feel much closer to Mr. Spock than to Mary Poppins. (laughs) (laughs) Oh goodness. Um, To me, I prize rationality that has compassion more than almost anything because it's the only way we're going to solve anything. It's true. And you mentioned looking for those gifts every day. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, that in itself is a gift mm-hmm. to be able to have that mindset and to be able to do that because not every, I mean, you know, you're, we're, our kids are next to us going to school every day and people are trying to work and you're trying Crazy. to have a relationship with somebody you're under the same roof with and you can't go outside. But how do you capture those gifts? What are you doing for yourself and anybody else around finding those? Well, the first thing for me is to admit that this stinks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that there's a, uh, I've heard the phrase recently, toxic positivity, which I think mm-hmm. is pretty apt, you know, that like, no, everything's fine. I'm good. I'm doing great. You know, no, I'm not. It's oh, awful. Nobody like that. <laughs> it's awful. So that it has to be, you know, it has to be authentic. It has to truly feel like this as a, as a, a it's a baseline of horror right now, yeah. <laughs> but within it, I am healthy. My kids are healthy. My husband's healthy. We live on an isolated, beautiful island that has not had many COVID cases. Um, Mm -hmm. I lost my job in May, but it turns out I didn't want it anyway. And it has led me to doing the work that I really want to do. So one of the gifts of having grown up in a very, very difficult household with a lot of what's called um, kids who come from hard places Mm. is that I don't have any innate longing for life as it used to be. Mm. I don't mm-hmm. have any of that false nostalgia where people say, oh, but life was so much better then. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought about that. Yeah, it really wasn't any better when I was my 20s. Yeah, not so much. <laughs> it was so much worse than it is now. But that has allowed me to shed that kind of nostalgia. For me, it really is, I'm here now and that's enough. Mm-hmm. And that word enough, as you know, has become my watchword. And so enough and making making sure that I creatively figure out how to have enough each day for me, my family, my friends, the people that matter to me. That's not a static act, right? It is an enormously muscular act every day to Changing say, every day. how's today? Today doesn't feel good enough. Okay, well then what can I do? Um, and it may just be really bad sitcoms and a glass of whiskey and that's fine too. <laughs> that might be your best day. <laughs> Add in some Doritos, I'm set. Uh, <laughs> But it may also be, okay, there is a problem. I see things in systems now, which I didn't as a kid, but as a as an adult, I see how the system of my family was deeply flawed and very damaging. Mm-hmm. And so if something comes up, I immediately start thinking about structures and systems. It's never, God, my kid annoyed me. It's like, okay, she's probably hating remote school. What is mm-hmm. what is making this kid right now feel so um, defiant? Right. And then not include allows us to include everybody creatively. I mean, maybe they can't take it all in, but we can include everybody else in that process too. Well, and you, you have a kind of a magical way to pick a word or a, 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 a really healthy way of taking an issue like that. Like mm. say a kiddo who's having trouble focusing mm. and saying, instead of getting mad and saying, focus, Mm-mm. I see you 
kind of dissect that and and look at it like let's hey why don't you try this yeah or let's try drawing out the list because yeah. you're so good at that or maybe turn your camera off and dance for a minute like yeah. those are things then that empower that person mm-hmm. and I feel like you're writing too and I don't know if, if you feel the difference this way but I feel like when I read it yes I'm transported which to me is good writing but it, it makes me think yeah and and often it's about something that I didn't know how to talk about like right. all the things that have been going on Black Lives Matter certainly Ruth Bader Ginsburg how do I talk about these things that feel so huge every day? And you're, you're writing just, it just, I don't know. It sort of wraps you up in a, in a, it's okay. However you think about this, however mm-hmm. you talk about it, just make sure you're thinking and talking mm-hmm. about it, you know? Mm-hmm. And you. I, I just really admire that. And I, I recommend everybody find it. <laughs> Thank you. My <laughs> newsletter, which is called enough. It's on Substack, is, vital to me right now. Mm-hmm. When I began it last year, things were significantly different. And in fact, I began it in July of 2019, knowing that enough, the book, um, notes from a woman who has finally found it as a subtitle was coming out in October. So it was a way to draw my audience towards that book and away from cooking or gluten-free girl, or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I assumed it would continue, but for me at first, it was really a way to connect with people to let them know the book was coming out. Mm-hmm. Then the book came out and I've been so moved by how many people have loved it and have written to me to say, you know, I never saw my family in print until I read your book, which Mm -hmm. astounded me. Mm -hmm. And the number of women in particular who've written to me to say, you've given me courage to tell my own story, which is to me the ultimate gift and reward of writing. Do you feel like you found more people like you might've felt like you were on your own Island with the experiences Mm -hmm. you had growing up? Do you feel like, you there's an astounding amount of people that went through similar things that you you wouldn't have guessed oh heck yeah Yeah. i mean that is the deepest danger with being abused as a kid or growing up in an abusive household is you think you're the only one going Mm -hmm. through it because you don't have community you don't have connections and in my case this is true for so many people it was also you can't tell anybody about this sure this was the giant elephant in the room and we're not allowed to discuss it at all Mm -hmm. so you're living in this terrible damaging situation but it's also this cloud of denial over everything and then i you know would see other kids at school and think i want their life i'm sure that there were a number of them who had equally hard lives as mine but we just weren't allowed to talk about it right um and so even though intellectually i knew that you know you can read statistics there are lots of people out there statistics but i didn't know in my body just how many people had endured really difficult and damaging and you know, bizarre mm-hmm. <laughs> upbringings the way mine was mm-hmm. until I started hearing from hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people mm-hmm. sending me Instagram messages about having read the book. Um, I mean, there were, I think six or 10 people who read the entire book in one day, the mm-hmm. day it got published mm-hmm. and they wrote to me before noon. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and part of me was thinking, yeah. that took me four years to write that book. Go back and see it again. But took you 54 oh, years. Oh yeah, did it ever. But, um, but that to me was so startling to feel like mm. what what was terrifying for me to write and then I found the courage to write it um, and this is what I teach to my writing students now which is I think the best piece of writing is both deeply deeply yours mm-hmm. the details are so specific they could be no one's stories but yours mm-hmm. and at the same time it's always in service to the reader as well right right it needs to be not just you writing your diary and not just writing about oh, what was me. It needs to be something that you are actually 
defecting as you write it. You need to be able to release it. And in doing that and trusting yourself enough to write down the true details of your life, ironically, wonderfully, other people will read their own lives in your specificity. I really think it's, it's one of the greatest gifts you can give others and one of the hardest for certain of us. Yeah. Like I, I'm not good at talking about myself or putting it out there, but over and over again, I'm drawn mm-hmm. to people that are willing to. So mm-hmm. I'm working on that. Um, but I think we're, if we stop and think about it, those people that are we are drawn to are those that are willing to be vulnerable, but not in that, oh, look at me, I'm being vulnerable kind of no, way. No, not at all. A very real, oh my gosh, I let this slip and I'm just going to keep talking about it kind right. of way. Right. I was working with a writer yesterday and, and we were talking about specific details and how when you write down the specific details of this setting, this moment we're living through, you know, these beautiful dahlias and they're pink and purple and golden and, you know, a spiral green vase and Lisa Congdon, um, you know, print on your, and the, this half drunk cup of coffee that's gone cold. All of those things matter. Yeah. They are who we are right yeah. now. But what happens, and I think it's schools that pounded into us that you need to have the proper kind of writing and you need to have a good mm-hmm. grade and you need you know, and we have to unlearn a lot of that um, because when you do write the specific details of your life, it is an enormous act of trust. Yes. To say biggest. what I lived matters. Yes. And that is a, an to, act of defiance in this culture. And to convince yourself right. of that. I don't right. know if that's quite the right word, but give yourself grace that mm-hmm. it does. Mm-hmm. Trust so, yourself. Yeah. And for those of us raised in hard places, that's the last mm-hmm. thing we know how to do at first is how to trust ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Must take a very long time. Yeah. Very long time. I am wondering when you started gluten-free girl, that was mm-hmm. writing because you were writing mm-hmm. articles and you were writing mm-hmm. recipes and you were finding things out. Mm-hmm. How, um, and that, that was huge. Huge. I had no idea anybody was reading. Right. <laughs> you know, everything in the world has changed technologically since 2005 when I began it. For me, I was just experimenting with an online place where I could write my own thoughts. Hmm. Um, I had another little blog, which I hate that word. Um, it sounds so weird. <laughs> uh, I had another space where I could write my thoughts. And it started off because I would write these epic long emails to my friends around the world. And some of them were kind enough to say, you know, I can't possibly read this much every day. <laughs> you have more time on your hands. Could you just like put, put them in a space somewhere so that on the weekends I could read it? Because I love what you're writing, but I just can't keep up. So that's really kind where friend. the blog began. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it frankly kind of keeps me humble too, because that's all we're doing is just writing in the darkness and hope that someone cares, you know? Oh my gosh, there's a good quote. And so um, when I got diagnosed with celiac, it became clear to me that I wanted to write about that because I had been diagnosed at 38 and I had never known this about myself. Mm-hmm. And as someone who fundamentally always wants to explore, you know, how I think, how I interpret the world, how, how, or how do other people, I'm fascinated by brains. Mm-hmm. How do other people's brains work? And they're all really quite radically different from each other. I did not know that the piece of, you know, olive bread toast I was having would fundamentally change my brain. Yeah, no, that would never be something no. we'd think about. Right. And had been since I was a that kid, right? And so when I finally got diagnosed and finally stopped eating gluten, I felt this lifting. It felt very similar to the day that I got my glasses for the first time at oh. eight. and said, oh, so that's what the world looks Interesting. like. <laughs> so it felt like a similar clearing. And to me, it was just so obvious I needed to write about it because that's what I do to anything. Sure. 
And then that took over and I thought, okay, I'll just get rid of this other blog thing and just start a, a blog just about this. And a friend of mine had called me the sick girl because I was sick for five, six oh, months. Just not. And she's like, what is up with you, sick girl? In a kind way, really. Yeah. Uh, what are we going to do? I want to help. You know, and I'd been through all kinds of medical mystery stuff. And when I got well, she's like, oh, you're not the sick girl anymore. You're the gluten-free girl. Oh. So that's where it started. For me, it's always just been about the actual details of your life, you know? Yeah. Um, and then people started leaving comments. Like, Who are these crazy people? <laughs> these are not my friends or anyone I know. So it took off from there. It yeah. turns out that I had started essentially one of the first gluten-free blogs in the world, mm-hmm. which and I don't think is something you need on your tombstone. But <laughs> <laughs> Let's make it gluten-free. Yeah. But for a while, you know, I met Danny a year after, after that, um, and he's a chef, so it became like Gluten-Free Girl and the Chef, and we would just explore yeah. our world together through food. Um, and then Lucy was born, and then later Desmond was born, and Gluten-Free Girl became our brand, for lack of a better word. I hated that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I began in 2005, there was no Facebook, there was no Twitter, there was no Instagram, there was no anything like that. It was really just this wonderful space where people would leave comments. Yeah. And I would write comments back and there'd be conversations happening in the comment section. I, I mean, remember. I remember just thinking this was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen that like mm-hmm. you could find community over a Caesar salad dressing recipe with gluten-free croutons. Right. <laughs> Who knew? Um, and then it shifted. Yeah. And then it shifted again and again. And as we've, we know, the trajectory of the internet has gone, you know, hell in a handbasket since. But when it was shifting was also when Danny and I had tried to figure out how to make this our full-time living. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just terror for a long time, you know. Because then you have to do it. Ugh. And yeah. I bet there's several people listening that, I mean, I know for myself, like how, when you're in it. Yeah. And even more so when it's yours, right? Mm-hmm. And then it it doesn't make you happy anymore. Mm-mm. When you have to write, it's like that. You have to. Yeah. And you wake up and you think, oh, my gosh, I'm I'm in over my head. I could deal with it, but I don't want to. Nope. Like, what was that like for you to, like, to shift out of that? Um, well, in some weird way, I was lucky because I had a minor stroke. <laughs> Mini stroke, a TIA. Um, Maybe and because you were doing too much. Yeah, it was way too much. I mean, we were not only keeping a blog and trying to run ads and trying to develop recipes for other places and have a marriage and have kids. And Desmond was, you know, less than a year when this happened. But we also had a gluten-free flour business, which I will literally never do anything like that again. <laughs> um, because that seemed like the next step for sure. so many people. Yep. For so many people who talk to me, the next step is... You know, you have the website, you have a certain amount of followers and hits, and then you get deals. Mm-hmm. You need, you know, you need intellectual property deals. You need a TV show. You need a line of cookbooks. You need a line of cookware. You need a, and so. You should well, grow. You should you know, grow. You should absolutely. grow. Absolutely. Every, every day is like, you know, why are you, what's the five-year plan? What are you going to do? And so we somehow, with the help of a couple of people who tried to help us, and they were helpful, but it's not the direction I wanted to go in. We did a Kickstarter to do the gluten-free flour thing. And that became the most exhausting month of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, having to promote myself and my work makes me sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. I have an easier time with some of it than others. Um, but that was just, hey, pay me so I can make this flour for you. I'm like, and then it's just, I wrote an essay about it in the book, but it was all the time Googling like, best you know flower packers in the northwest how do you get a box printed what do you like just constant level of questions about things i really wasn't that curious about right so using all my curiosity and creativity to complete a task that would make us successful sound familiar anyone oh 
I hated it. Mm -hmm. Um, And about two days before I had this mini stroke, I remember had had meetings all day long in our kitchen studio at that point. And a couple of friends were helping us and thinking about IP deals and thinking about new packaging for the flour and talking about how the only way to get this to grow is to get into grocery stores across America and get a distributor and get an investor. And I should show up at, you know, conventions all around America and sit behind a table Mm. and sell the flower, but have to sell myself at the same time. And I just couldn't stomach the thought, but it also felt like what we had to do. We started it. It'd been so public. We couldn't fail. And I also didn't know any other way we could earn money. Right. There's that. Yeah. And that American dream is just so deeply, and I have to say, I think it's a lie, but that lie is so deeply ingrained in all of us, whether or not we agree with it. The the hierarchy of first you do this, and then you get that, and then you get the promotion, and then you get the new car, and then you have a debt-free life, and life is fine. This is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I'm striving for. Oh, boy. It wasn't at all for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, a lot of it was my um, inability at the time to reconcile just how weird I am. (laughs) (laughs) with the traditional American dream and the traditional idea of success, you know, you didn't, you're, you didn't really have teaching. You had your own discovery. Right. And as a kid, I felt so removed from typical society. You know, I was locked in the house when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I didn't have friends. I couldn't go to anyone's houses. So that longing to be normal, Mm -hmm. that longing to just say, Oh yeah, this is what you do. I'm going to do it. And I ended up getting in the weirdest escapades for the last decade. (laughs) That's what makes you so fascinating. Oh, thank you. Um, And so I remember that day looking out the window and thinking, I guess I'm just not a writer anymore. Maybe Mm -hmm. my creativity is now morphed into being an entrepreneur and having to solve these problems. And two mornings later, I woke up and I couldn't feel the left side of my face. So I think my body was definitely sending me a message like, hey, slap you around. I don't think so. (laughs) You have the the body that really tells you what it needs, Mm. what you need to know. Mm -hmm. I I don't, I think that's pretty awesome. And you listen. It's not always convenient for sure. No, not at all. But it's certainly also fairly new. I mean, Mm. when I was in my teens and my 20s and my 30s, first of my 30s, I feel like I was a head that walked around on this Mm. thing that would lead me places. Um, But that's been part of the deepest healing for me is to realize I went to talk therapy for years Mm. and I'm very, very grateful for it. Um, Sitting meditation and a lot of retreats taught me to be in my body and my breath in a way that talk therapy never could. Right. And, you know, after the birth of my daughter in particular, I realized one, as a woman, our own power. Mm, you know, I could grow right. a human being in my body. That is just the wildest thing in the world. And then she nearly died when she was born. Yeah. And no matter what comes up with her, my husband, Danny, and I both looked at each other and go, hey, she's here. You know, yeah. um, it was a really scary year, the yes. first year of her life. It was major. And since then, the only thing that has really mattered to me is, you know, increasingly more so every year, is how does this feel in my body? Mm-hmm. I know when things are off, when I got my stomach clenched or a little, little bit of a headache and um, yeah, my words are coming out far more slowly than usual. So I do very clearly listen to my body now. Yeah. I could not have told my 22-year-old self this where I'd be. <laughs> I think, too, that you help other people think about theirs mm. because, you know, in some of the things I've read or the discussions we've had, just like, huh. Am I paying attention to mm. that thing mm. that I might not have if I hadn't stopped long enough to yeah to to know it was there? Well, and having kids does it too. 
True. You know, I, you know, I've got two of them and one is 12 and one is six and they have pretty wildly different needs. And I love them both mm-hmm. to the moon um, and back. But the, uh, what I've realized now after having a kiddo for 12 years is like 90% of it is add water. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know? even had a have, have some water. You're mm-hmm. feeling overwhelmed. Let's go to the beach and look at the That's waves. You point. know, it's like, um, let's go swimming. Let's mm-hmm. move, you know, so let's move, let's drink some water. Let's, you know, go look at the sea off the deck. Anything that involves water for me is really deeply mm-hmm. important. Um, and I'm trying to teach them that too. It's harder. I, I have a kiddo who likes, um, something sweet and small to drink and mm-hmm. it's like, well, and I've fixed it by saying, well, not fixed it, but you have to have this much water before yeah. you can drink that. <laughs> Well, it would never occur to a kid that I need water. You know, my, my 12 year old, um, she will sometimes say to me, oh, I'm really tired or my stomach feels weird. And I just look at her and say, when was the last time you ate? Oh, I don't, did you eat breakfast? No. I'm like, go eat some food. Right. Because of course, at, as a 12 year old girl, we are fully in on it now. As a 12 year old girl, she truly believes, I remember feeling this. No, this is not about water, mom. I am truly upset. And, the, you know, you don't understand. Uh, nothing is going right for me. And I'm like, I will be happy to talk with Just you about that. After me to half a sandwich and drink some water. Yeah. And generally, you know, 15 minutes later, she's okay. So if I can be a guide for her on that, I feel pretty excited. Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's helpful for all of us. I really, I do have to remember these things. <laughs> I think one of the gifts probably that um, your gluten-free girl life gave you was some of the connections you have totally and how in this past year with all the unrest and the things that we're realizing that we haven't looked on fairly for a very very long time I mean we knew it but now we know it um just shoved in your face bluntly in the best you know we need to right but I feel like I've learned a lot from you just watching you navigate that because mm. you have a black son and mm. because you have followers that became friends that are helping all of us learn. And yeah. that's another thing that I'm so grateful to you for just you. opening those, cracking open some of those um, experiences and stories and, and introducing me to some other people. Thank you. I, uh, you know, community is the only thing that really matters to me. Um, I really do and will write for the rest of my life. But if you gave me the choice, if you could write in your room and have people read your books or you could have a profound community of strong women and kids and men you care about, there would be no choice. Um, And again, it was the aching loneliness I felt as a kid Mm. that informs a lot of what I do now. You know, at the time I just thought it would never end. And I was, you know, I wasn't even fully aware how full I was suffering. I was disassociating a lot of times. Because you don't know anything different. You know, anything different. And when you're a kid, your job is to try to, you know, remember that your parents are your parents and give them every bit of slack you can because they're it, you know. And I disassociate a lot as a kid. Um, and now that's why I really just want to be as present as I can. So now I think all of the gifts of the time that I lived through, which really it lasted till I was about 30, mm-hmm. now inform what matters to me in this world, in this time. Well, I think in a back words way we benefit you know we all mm-hmm. do mm-hmm. and as far as you know introducing um other voices mm-hmm. that again to me is you know the only thing that matters um we are for each other not just ourselves i say that to my kids pretty much every day and mm-hmm. i figure maybe about 20 years from now it'll click <laughs> that's how that works <laughs> but you know i 
for me, the highest calling is to be part of something that helps other people with their lives. And it's not about, can I get a bit better car? It's right. not about, can I have a bigger house? It just is never going to be that. Um, and those of us who really build our lives that way are always going to be the outsiders in this culture, mm-hmm. but we're also the ones that change things. No, it's true. I think, um, looking back and going through times in my life. And I think similar to the, as you were describing with gluten-free girl, you need this thing or you're supposed to do this or you're, you have this house. Now you need a bigger house or you need to, you know, moving to a very small house on a place where you have to take a ferry to get to, and there's no really anything of much convenience mm. um, is a gift in itself. And I think, you know, losing one's job, not fun. But it also, it makes us scrappy, right? Right. And I think this entire year could make us all scrappy Mm -hmm. um, if we decide to lean into it. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, after COVID began, I was writing for a very nice place. You know, don't need to talk Mm -hmm. about it. But I wasn't doing work that I felt like really mattered in the world. Mm -hmm. I was getting stuff done and Mm -hmm. it was good. I was got a paycheck. We had the security. And for a while, not having had any normal job, I don't know how long. Um, it felt pretty good to yeah, have like, absolutely. hey, money's coming in. We've got insurance for the family. This is great. But I knew there was only so long that was going to work for me. <laughs> <laughs> but when um, COVID began and we were locked down and I realized just how many people were dying and how deadly this is and how fundamentally either this society has to change or it's going to crack open, which is what we're seeing. Um, I knew that the work I was doing for that job didn't matter to me anymore you know, somebody else happily could do it because I wanted to do something that contributed to opening up this culture and this community in a way that is about truly listening to people. So talk to me about where you're headed with that idea. Mm. Well, I have the newsletter enough, which I uh, adore the people there. It's sort of like the early days Mm. of the blog where people are talking with each other and with me. And now we have a private Instagram account just for for people who are subscribers. I love that because I'm seeing their lives for the first time. Mm, and that's I refreshing. I never just wanted it to be about, I am the voice and, you know, I just wanted I to be part that. of a community. Um, and now we're starting um, conversations on most Sundays called enough, the conversations about what was good enough this week and what didn't feel good enough. And what can we do to make sure that other people have enough? This and week? those will be on, on Zoom. Zoom. Yeah. Most Sundays. And that's just for subscribers. But I've also been doing, writing workshops over zoom which have been marvelous and i've taught all of my life i think it's fascinating to see in this time for me in particular or for anyone who's willing to do this work that i can see how every single part of my life is being pulled in there's like little threads and i'm making a new fabric you Mm -hmm, know mm -hmm. um and so all the years i taught high school and then the years you know when i lived in manhattan i ran a independent screenplay editing business because Right. I love editing and I've thought about my writing a lot and, and talked about that. And that's how people know me, but I'm a damn good editor mm-hmm. and I really love hearing other people's stories yeah. and then being able to find the structure for them in the midst. Well, of the that chaos. goes along with you loving to bring people along. Right. It's all of it together. So I'm really focusing now on helping other people to write and find their own stories um, and how to edit their work. So I'm starting these series of four week workshops called finding your story Hmm. Um, limited to eight people each on zoom. And we have about an hour and a half long conversation and I teach, but there's also conversation and then people receive a writing prompt every day. 
And then they also can send me drafts as we go. And I edit each draft each week. So over the course of the time, if someone participates, they could have these four week sessions from which people have said they've learned an enormous amount and felt like they're part of a community on Zoom. But you also have the chance to bring your story to a place that satisfies you in the course of a month. And also might be and might able to be then turned around and talked about and move that person along right in wherever they are in life too. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's not about publishing. I mean, people say, Oh, are you doing a workshop where you can teach me how to get my work? Nope. I'm not interested in that at all. You know, you has to be something you really love in the first place. Um, and I've been helping friends, um, informally and doing this one-on-one as well, not with writing, but with our lives. Like what is it that is going on and what's making you happy? What's not, um, again, if living is a creative act, then as a creator, you still need an editor (laughs) to help you with that (laughs) creativity, right? Another one. So, um, I love being the soundboard for other people and being able to say, Hey, it seems like you've been doing this all your life, Mm -hmm. but you're not doing it. Um, my 12 year old daughter said to me, you know, what am I going to do with my life someday? And I said, well, what do you love to do? And she said, was that enough? I'm like, yes, it is enough here. Mm -hmm. Let's look at mine. I was a high school English teacher. I scooped ice cream for a little while. That doesn't really, you know, I was 17, um, high school English teacher, a tutor. Um, I was a tutor in New York for kids who were actors. So I would go on set or go to their houses and teach them. I was a book editor for um, a celebrity's girlfriend, which I can't talk about. Uh, very strange. I was a screenplay editing, uh, you know, a person. And then I you might have been again. a doctor. I wanted to be a doctor. Um, and I feel like all of that huge passion I had for the human body and yeah. how it works is now in my work. Translated. Translated. Um, but every single thing I've ever done for a job has to do with words, language, editing, stories, other people, everything. What I think is the super exciting part of that, what you're doing now, is that you are using your gifts more than ever, mm-hmm. the gifts that you love to use, mm-hmm. and you're turning those around and helping other people find the same. I've watched, you know, a friend here who lost a job and didn't quite know what way to turn, and, you, and you've done this for myself, too, just in figuring out, you know, working through some you know, questions and and quandaries that I had where you, you have this great way of listening Mm. to someone when they don't know what they're even saying themselves Mm. and you can pull that out. And I would think being a part of these workshops would just be a wonderful experience because you'd, as a participant, I would think with you as that editor, teacher, giver of gifts, um, the gift is that they come out knowing how to talk about themselves in a way they wouldn't before. Thank you. That's really important to me. And I feel like, I mean, I've done three or four of these, not published them, not talked about them, but done them with friends, done them with other food writers to make sure that this works. And for Mm. me, teaching only matters if it's truly real. If people are sharing themselves, if people feel safe in the space, if people feel like they're pushing themselves, even if you've been a writer published many, many years, you still always have to go back to the fundamentals and talk about specific details and structure. Structure is really my gift. I know Mm -hmm. how to structure a story so that it not only is in service to yourself, but to the reader. Um, And I've been amazed by how, you know, real and vulnerable and incredible these, these experiences have been. And I'm also creating a little 
uh, private newsletter for people who have been part of those. And then they're going to get those newsletters. People talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, you're creating that community. Exactly. There's always community. Always. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like, again, having experienced such keen loneliness as a child, I have no interest whatsoever in anyone else's definition of success anymore. It oh. just feels like. Can we all get there? May, may we all. <laughs> well, that's my enough. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, it's funny because, and I'm not sure I've even told you this, but I realized my book came out almost a year ago and I have other books in my head. I have mm-hmm. at least two children's book. I have a book about parenting. Possibly I've got two novels that are burning at me, a couple of YAs. Like I'm taking notes on all of them. Right. But I need to get off the hamster wheel of publishing books too, mm-hmm. because no matter what you do, there's still that. Is it going to be successful? Is someone going to blurb it? Yes. Is that person going to mention on social media? Is it going to have, here's my benchmark for how many thousands of copies I have to have sold for it to be successful in my eyes. And then it's just still like somebody else's mechanism right. that tells me if I'm worthy and I'm not interested. I think that's so bears repeating because uh, you know, and that's one of the things about getting older, which, you know, our older relatives or friends, we listen to them say along the way, but there is that thing where you don't have to care about no. those little details anymore. <laughs> you just don't. If you don't feel like doing it that way, you can do it another way. And that is so refreshing. Um, there's some real go-getters in their you know, early 30s that I'm very fond of, and I can't wait to see them in 20 years. Yep, exactly how I feel too. And, and I was one of those people, yeah. you know, and I same (laughs) my very dear friend tita she and i taught high school together we created an american studies program on vashon in the Mm. 90s um and she knew she was she's 14 years older than i am i was a first year teacher i had so many ideas and so many things that i wanted to do and share and she was like absolutely she felt like she was enlivened by being in it i love it but she also kept saying like okay in four or five years when you calm down it's gonna be really great You know, and there's no, again, I think that's the creative act is, um, is growing through ourselves as well. Well, and that's why we're energized by our kids because they're discovering it at different ages, our younger friends, our older friends. Like I just so relish the soup of it all. Mm, You know, I mean, for gosh sakes, we're just making it up as we go along. We are. We're just being human. And I, uh, I do a little morning meeting with the kids for remote school because oof, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm trying to, they're just staring at screens and yeah. putting up their QR codes to give into meetings. It's awful. Um, so I try to put some kind of human spin on in the mornings and also to kind of give them some sense like, yeah, this is hard, but let's look at some yeah. ideas, you know, and I love quotes and I love etymology of words. Um, so one the other day was Frederick Douglass whom we mm. prize very highly in our house mm-hmm. and, um, it is without struggle, there is no progress. Mm. And if you look at the etymology, it originally comes from to stumble, like literally physically stumble mm-hmm. and progress means progress, which is to oh. walk ahead, mm-hmm. to keep moving forward and you're walking. Right. So if you didn't stumble, sometimes you would not be able to continue to walk forward. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have a terrible day where you're like, all right, that's it. Doritos and whiskey and sitcoms. And I give up the next right. morning you wake up and say, well, I clearly can't do that for the next 10 days. Or it's boring. I, I, somebody was on somebody's refrigerator once and I wish I knew it, what it was, but it was something very similar where, you know, if it, it wasn't hard and it didn't teach you anything, right. it would be boring. Right. And ugh, it's hard sometimes, but my goodness, is it magical? Same time. Right. And that's the thing for me of, a, I want to ask myself and I do every day now, what's today like? 
you know, do I have enough today? What would be my enough today? Right. If I get, I mean, I systematically over imagined how much I could get done every day for at least 25 years. <laughs> These long to-do lists. And then you feel like a failure in your own life when that was always arbitrary anyway, right? Only three. Just pick the three things oh, you have to I get know, done. Exactly. Exactly. And so it's taken all this time for me to do that. But even more than that, wow, we think a lot about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And when we do that, like you've got to get ahead and I've got to be successful and I got this in it. And there is no room in our brains for the people when we do that. That's true. And, you know, I mean, yes, without struggle, there is no progress. And I can say that to the kids saying, like, if you had a hard day, that's only the very bare surface yeah. of that quote, really. It was like, also just a hard damn day. It was a hard damn day. But even more <laughs> that, um, kids, Frederick Douglass said that. Let's take a look at what his life is. Yeah. <laughs> Let's discuss. And yet he, you know, and my son, who is black, we've talked immediately, yeah. I mean, you know, certainly this last year in particular about race and racism and um, and slavery for the first time and all of those things. Uh, but we've always just said to him, Hey hon, look, this is a reality. And there are a lot of people who feel it, but those people are wrong. There's mm-hmm. a sickness in them that they would only feel better if they can denigrate other people. Correct. So you don't have to feel in any right. way you don't have by to this. That. Mm-hmm. You are in the right position. You just live your life and stumble and progress and read as much as you can you know he's starting to learn to read and poor kid he's only six and i'm like "Uh -uh." (laughs) uh-uh frederick douglas had to learn to read and it was illegal so you're going to learn to you know like it's not always that hard in this house but you know i feel like the wealth of information from other people other centuries other generations you know boy we need a lot more of that in this culture we do and i think stopping and looking back at all those that have gone before and and have taught us and the things that were not taught that mm-hmm. we needed to learn that mm-hmm. were hidden, you know, oh, yeah. that history and, and the people that stood tall as long as they can, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg Absolutely. carrying it for us, you know, John Lewis, John Lewis, um, who forged the path so we can continue it. And, and I think in your helping people get their stories out and standing up for what you believe in, I know it helps me feel like I can do that, which mm-hmm. then I hopefully pass on. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's our, it feels like a duty, but it feels like a gift. Well, and I feel like, um, well, so for example, the workshops that I'm doing, I am doing three different kinds. One is finding your story. One is finding your food story. Cause I have a lot of food writers who still want to work with me and finding your story for young adults because mm. you're 17, 18 boy, that's the great time, the burgeoning of really starting to figure out who you are, you know? Um, but I'm one workshop, those three are paid. And then one workshop is going to be free every month for anyone who's black, indigenous, anyone of color, um, LGBTQA, in any way in these marginalized groups. And I'm going to do those for free every month because it's an equity issue in spite of, Oh, I had a difficult childhood and yes, it informed me. I still have white privilege and my life has been easier than someone who has had to have a similar difficult life and be black or a similar difficult life and be trans. And so, but on top of that, I want to tread lightly because I'm not saying anybody who takes my stories who is white is boring, but I, because none of us is sure. But my gosh, we definitely need to hear more of the voices and the stories of anybody who has been marginalized, marginalized. by this society. Because frankly, they're always the most interesting people. Oh, I was just, <laughs> There's it, so much more complex and, um, you know, they, and have had to deal with such hardship, um, 
simply because of the color of their skin or because of their sexual orientation history the depth of it all that they've become flinty and scrappy and and much more interesting to me than someone who's had a fairly typical middle class suburban Mm -hmm. life yeah i agree there's my bias showing but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) show it keep on showing it Mm. oh this is this is why i love you i love you too so much thank you one thing I want to make sure to ask you is who are you inspired by in the world right now? Well, that's such a tough question for me because it's so many people inspire me. Um, it can change every day. It does change every day. <laughs> um, I've been going back and reading a lot of James Baldwin. Uh, he makes sense even more in the world right now. He's always made sense, but mm. getting a lot more attention for the way he made sense many, many years ago. Um, and in particular, the very slender book, The Fire Next Time, mm. which is, I think, essential reading for everyone at the moment. And it's about racial injustice and it's about freedom and it's about dealing with prejudice and, you know, in curiosity. Um, and there's a quote that he wrote in that that I have up, which is, we cannot be free until they are free. Oh, I love that. We cannot be free until they are free. You know, the idea of groups being free is always a lie. Um, And imagine how much more powerful this culture and this world will be if we didn't waste our time with stupid prejudice. (laughs) Oh my gosh. We get so much more done. It just fills way too much space. Yeah. And it's fear, of course. I mean, Mm -hmm. fear, we decide if we want to have fear dominate our lives or not, but Mm -hmm. we have to recognize it as fear before we can do anything. It's hard to reconcile that one. Mm, I know. I know. So I've been reading a lot of James Baldwin. Um, on a completely different note, I've been reading Maggie Smith's new book. Mm. She's a poet. She's absolutely incredible. A lot of listeners will recognize a poem she wrote, I think, four or five years ago called Good Bones. Mm. And it's a poem about, um, uh, well, you can link to it in the show notes, but it's a poem about seeing a house and knowing that it's going to, you know, it's not going to work, but it has good bones, you know, and that's her analogy for telling the kids about the world. How do you tell the truth to your kids about this world when it's so ragged and hateful and furious and unsure? Um, and she uses that notion of, you know, hey, this house is a mess, but at least it has good bones. Oh my um, gosh. People sort of circulate that on a you know monthly basis all around social media. Mm-hmm. And her new book is called Keep Moving. I just got it. Um, she, I think three or four years ago, found out in the midst of traumatic upheaval that her husband was not the person she thought so. And so they mm-hmm. divorced um, and she was traumatized by that. And of course, trying to also be a parent. And she started for herself writing these little blurbs, which end with keep moving, just keep going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, if she's turned them into a book. And, you know, she wrote them for a year more. People love them. Um, Here's one. You are the same person you were before this grief, and yet you have been transformed by it. Both are true, as impossible as that sounds. You are the same, and you are different. Let yourself be changed. And trust that change is not erasure. Keep moving. I'm going to go order that right now. Every one of the little snippets in this book is exact. You know, every time I open I'm like, Oh, yes, that's exactly the one I needed to read right now. <laughs> she was talking to herself. Of course, it's what I'm doing when I'm writing, too. But mm-hmm. um, but it ends up speaking to a lot of people as well. That's such a good reminder. Again, like we were, we've been talking about the stories. It We see ourselves in so many others' experiences. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, and a third person, it's not really a person, but I'm just so inspired by the black women activists mm-hmm. I online who are fierce and alive and fighting for their lives. Man, they shouldn't have to fight this hard. More of us need to uh, join in, but um, who are distributing knowledge on social media. You know, people will, of course, discount social media. It's terrible. Facebook is terrible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there are incredible women, writers, activists. Uh, Sonia Renee Taylor is one of them. I love Mm -hmm. her work as well. Uh, She just did a podcast with Brene Brown, which is beautiful. Oh, yes. That's on my list. It is on the list. She is quite amazing. Um, And she does these, like, up-close instagram videos it's her in the car or lying on her bed and puts the camera right in her face and just talks and everything she says is real and raw and funny and very very clear so i I look forward to her next video every time Mm. oh my gosh those are rich rich suggestions and i'm looking forward to diving in how can we, a couple of things, how can we listen to you in these enough calls mm-hmm. on Zoom? Mm-hmm. How can we reach, how can your newsletter reach us and how can we learn more about the teaching you're doing? Thank you. Um, the, the URL for the um, newsletter is enough.substack.com and it's a paid subscription nine dollars a month very very reasonable um it not only comes with what seems like three to four essays a week right now but also my husband and i are creating recipes together again we did that for years creating cookbooks and again it got tied to all of those hierarchies and expectations and now we're just creating he's making the food and i just document what we're actually eating right now she's also an amazing photographer i forgot to add that in (laughs) amazing (laughs) so the subscription comes with that and it comes with recipes that will be available on our website soon um and then anyone who's a subscriber also gets these sunday conversations that are essentially like this and then um the classes and workshops and the editing will be available very soon um i don't know if it'll be up by the day this airs because that's in a few days but uh, the website name is on being enough so on beingenough.com. Yes. And that should be live. Maybe it'll be Wednesday if I push the heck out of this Perfect. now. Um, but that's where you can access workshops and become part of this community. Well, hopefully people will be listening to this for a long time. All these things will be in the show notes as well. Shauna's book is called Enough by Shauna Ahern. And it's absolutely worth a read. And just keep an eye on her. She doesn't stop for long. <laughs> That's true. But it's not about me. That's where I feel even more energy than ever before in my life. It's like I can stop just talking about myself these days and just I really want to hear other people's stories and amplify them. It's so interesting. Mm. Well, thank you for sharing your story today with us. Thank you, Margo. I appreciate it. Okay. Love you. Love you back. Hey, thanks so much for being here with me today. I just love these conversations. They mean the world to me. I love being able to share with you these wonderful people that I have met along the way they mean so much so if you want to check out the show notes or my favorites or anything like that head on over to tantostudio.com 
and I'll have everything there, all the details that we talked about today. So again, thanks so much for being here and feel free to head over to wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple or Spotify, and leave a review for Windowsill Chats and subscribe. I will see you next week. I so appreciate you lovelies. Thanks for being here.